Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Okay, and before we get started, go ahead and turn your Bible to uh, Song of Solomon chapter 5. And while you're turning to that, I want to welcome you to Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. And this is my first effort of delivering a message into a computer. And here's hoping that the volume and my actions in front of a camera doesn't take away from the message I'm about to speak on. The message I'm about to speak on is entitled, Christ the Unique Son of God. Unique is a word in the dictionary that says there's no equal to it. And I believe that that's true with Christ. He is the unique son. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 16, we have, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Only begotten son is the word rendering is unique son. And there's another passage in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. This is my beloved son, or this is my unique son, in whom is all my delight. The Lord Jesus Christ is spoken of in, in Isaiah 42, the Lord God of heaven. He says, behold, my servant, behold my elect, in whom my soul delights in completely. <clears throat> you know, in a way, the, the Bible is the actual picture book of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talks and shows his offices. It also tells about <clears throat> his, his typology. It also shows other things such as the actual um, titles that he had. And so today, I want to look at this unique son where he's buried in many different ways. But a good example of the Lord Jesus Christ tied in typology would be in Genesis, Joseph himself. <clears throat> he was loved of the Father, and he was rejected or hated by his brethren. Well, we know the Lord Jesus Christ was loved of his Father, and that he was rejected by his brethren, hated by his brethren. In fact, in John 15, 25, it says they hated him, without a cause. But after Joseph went through all these things in Egypt, he was finally lifted up and, and became the right hand of Pharaoh. <clears throat> and of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was completed, his work on the cross was very Again, ascended up in glory, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. <clears throat> now, the Lord Jesus Christ is unique. In many ways. In fact, he had no biological father he, his, on earth here. Joseph was considered, as it says in the scriptures, Jesus was so called the son of Joseph. <clears throat> Another rendering for that is being supposed to be the son of Joseph. So he really didn't have a biological earthly father, but he had the mother, Mary, 
in chapter 1 of Mark Matthew's Gospel, verse 18. He was that son of eternity. In fact, the purpose that he came was, it says in chapter 10 of Mark, verse 45, Christ was born for a purpose. The son of Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give himself a ransom for many. <clears throat> In the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus called God my Father, and my Father and I, in John chapter 10, and he calls him Father, but he doesn't call Joseph Father at all in the Scriptures, even though he was his, his, his son, but not biologically. The Lord Jesus Christ, another mystical thing about him is in 1 Timothy 3.16, says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on this world, and received up into glory. Starting at John chapter 1, the first two verses, <clears throat> he, uh, it goes, in the beginning, that's, he already existed, in other words, Jesus did, uh, was the Word, that's his, his personality, and the Word was with God. That's showing that he coexisted with Father and with the Spirit of God. It was also said, and the word was, was God. His deity is brought out. Look what a unique person he is. In fact, it's, it's said that in Philippians 2, verse 6, that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He thought that's something to be grasped after. It was something that he knew. And that word in John chapter 1, 14, was made flesh, and we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of the unique one. Jesus was not only unique in his birth, but he was unique in his creation. But in Hebrews chapter 1 it says, And he laid the foundations of the earth, the heavens are the work of his hands. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is unique. He laid that foundation in the world. In fact, there's a couple of things in, in the scriptures we need to know that refers to Christ. Job chapter 26 and verse 7. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. In Psalm 95 verse 5. The seas are his and he made it. And he hath, he hath measured the water in the hollow of his hand, it says in Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40, verse 22, he stretches out the heavens as a curtain. And in Psalm 147, verse 4, he telleth the number of stars, and he knoweth them by name. What can we say about this? We have to say, like in, in Revelation 14, and verse 7, fear God and give him glory, and have glory, and worship him that maketh heaven and earth the sea, and the fountains of the water. <clears throat> Jesus is not only unique in his birth and unique in creation, 
But Jesus is unique in his beauty. God has given unto us in his, in his word glimpses of the Lord Jesus Christ, not portraits. We, we can't draw a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we can also <clears throat> we can see glimpses of him, the uniqueness of him. In Psalm 45, it says that thou art fairer than the children of men, and who amongst heaven can be compared to him. Now let's look at Song of Solomon, chapter 5. We're going to look at some descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9 of Song of Solomon, chapter 5, it says, What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou hast charged her? Ah, <clears throat> my beloved is white and ruddy. The chief is among 10,000. His head is at most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly sad. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips are like lilies, dropping sweet smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the beryl. His belly is as a bright ivory overlaid with sapphire. His legs are as pillars of marble and upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon. His excellent as the seers, tall and slender. His mouth is not sweet, it is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 17. There in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, we have him described as his glorious person. Now in Matthew chapter 17, we're going to describe him and his glory manifested unto others. Chapter 17, the first five verses. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun. His raiment was white as the light. And he before him there appeared Moses, Elijah, take, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And if thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, Peter, you know, he likes to say the right thing, and then he says the wrong thing. He wanted to build tabernacles. I'm glad he didn't say he wanted to build an altar for them, but at least he said tabernacles. But the, God had a different idea in verse 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved, there's the unique, this is my beloved son, in whom is all I am pleased. Hear ye him. And that's the second portion. The third portion will go all the way to Revelation chapter 
one. And when we get there, look down at verse 12 and 16 ourselves. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and the midst of seven lampstands are like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, anger about the patch with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as it were burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sword, two-edged sword, a sharp one. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, for I am he, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. There in that third passage, we have his majesty. Now you know. <clears throat> In Song of Child Solomon chapter 5, that the description of him goes from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. We know the description of sin is in Isaiah chapter 1. And here we have the description of the Savior of sinners from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Here we have it also in Revelation. And also we see the shining of his brightness, this unique one. The Son of God loved me and, and gave him for me. There'll be another time to look into these scriptures, I hope, and take these three scriptures and look at him and, and, and discover this unique one, the Lord Jesus Christ. However, there's a passage in Isaiah 53, and it's says, there was no beauty that we should desire. And in the eyes of man, when they nailed him to the cross, there is no beauty that man should look upon him. And yet, we see it. As believers now, we see that wonderful beauty, the sweet-smelling savor on the God's nostril. His visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. When he came to be our Savior, by his suffering at the cross, by his sufferings, he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Yes, Jesus was a unique one at his birth. There's life here on earth, and when he came from eternity, and also in his beauty, but he was pure as the meal offering. In Leviticus chapter 2, there's a description of the meal offering. Fine, fine flour. Speaks of his evenness. Of his walk down here in earth. His walk of purity. But in that offering was also the oil. This oil speaks of the Spirit of God. The anointing of the Spirit of God. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. 
In Matthew 1.18, we say that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. He indwelt, he was indwelt by the Spirit in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 4, he was led of the Spirit. In Hebrews 9.14, he offered himself without spot, without blemish, by the Spirit. And he was spotless, could not find a fall in him. And in John chapter 8, there in the temple, when they brought that woman that was caught in adultery, there was a man, I don't know, but they brought the woman. And he said, which of you can visit me of sin? You see, even Satan could not tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. There was no nature within Christ to even respond to a temptation. And yet, Satan knew that. In fact, in Hebrews 4.15, says he was tempted in all ways, body, soul, and spirit. Set apart. The testimony of Isaiah 53, verse 9, says that he had done no violence. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He is truly that unique one. In creation, at his birth, in his life, in his beauty. Now let's explore Christ as that unique one in the completeness of the work of redemption. Here we have, never a man spake like this man. Never a man died like this man. He was a unique one. The complete redemption was there. Our Lord's death is the main topic in Scripture from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 to Revelation chapter 20. The cross was constantly before him. And while it meant death and shamefulness to mankind, they thought that they had defeated him, it meant glory and glorification to God the Father. In John chapter 17, Father, I have glorified you. I have finished that work completed. Have me complete. I have finished that thing. Given unto John by the Spirit the fullness, the fulfillment of that tremendous work of redemption. In chapter 19 of John's Gospel, more than four times over, it says it is written, for that the scriptures might be fulfilled. The cross was ever on his mind. He prayed in chapter 17 of John's Gospel, Father, the hour is come. You know, but John also delighted in another word in the scriptures about Christ, a picture of Christ, the Lamb of God. John chapter 1, 29. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The word Lamb is used by John in his Gospel and in the book of Revelation. Now you would think that in the Gospel of John, it was used more than the book of Revelation, but it's not true. 32 times over, John uses the word lamb. And in this idea of John's gospel, he used it four times. But in the book of Revelation, he used it 28 times. I want to give you a couple examples of that word of lamb used in the book of Revelation. And then you can find the rest if you like. In chapter 5 of Revelation and verse 12, it says, Worthy is the Lamb. 
in chapter 6, 16. It says that they went into the cave and, and the mountains, and they cried that the rocks would fall upon him and keep them from the wrath of the Lamb that sits on the throne of God. In chapter 7, verse 14, it talks about the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 15, verse 3, the song of the Lamb. In Revelation 19, verse 7, the actual marriage supper of the Lamb. In chapter 21 of Revelation, in verse 9, we have the bride of the Lamb. We also have the Lamb as the light of the city. The Lamb is the light of heaven. In chapter 22 of Revelation, verses 1 to 3, we see described the throne of the Lamb. Christ was unique also, not only in his redemption, but he was unique in his death. He had power to lay down his life, and he had power to raise it up again, always in control. He was always in control. There are seven phrases on the cross that shows this. We have the phrase that says, at the beginning, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now here, the relationship between the Father and the Son is there. But we know, as we read the next five phrases, that he doesn't mention Father. He mentions God. Until he says that last phrase, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Then the relationship is back. I'll show you what I mean by that. In the second phrase, he says, he looks and after saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks and says, Behold your mother. Behold your son. And he's showing John the Apostle. And he's showing Mary that he has a concern for the welfare of Mary. And John took him from that day on and took her unto his own, as if it was his mother. And here we have, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And here we have the Lord Jesus answering back to them, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Then we have the darkness come upon the scene. The three hours. And within those three hours, he didn't say, my father. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my Lord. There he put in his body. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. There man could not see. Yes, man treated him wickedly before he went to the cross. And as he was on the cross, but that didn't save our soul. The salvation of our soul was purchased when he was forsaken, that we might be forgiven of our sins. This unique one, he was unique in his death. And finally, to complete the scriptures, his fifth phrase from the cross was, I thirst. And then he could say, on the sixth one, on the number six, the sixth phrase, the number of man, he says, it is Finished. One word. Finished. The word was complete. The work was complete by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, 
as the work is complete, again, the relationship is back with the Father and the Son, where he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Finally, we're going to see, we can see God's unique Son in the wonder of his resurrection. While the Lord's birth is generally accepted, his burial and his resurrection is not always accepted by many people. But it's not a full gospel without preaching that Christ died and was buried and on the third day he rose again. That's the full gospel. How do I know? John chapter 4, I mean Revelation, sorry, Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. He declared that he but delivered <coughs> in death for our offenses. And he was raised again by resurrection for our justification of our sins. Resurrection. John, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he cites the fact that if Christ be not risen, our preaching is in vain. We're empty. We're found as false witnesses. And our faith is in vain. It's empty. And another phrase put in there is, and ye are yet in your sins. If Christ be not raised from the dead, you are yet in your sins. Yet in your sins. And there's someone out there today, and you are yet in your sins. He need not be because this unique son came to die on the cross so that if you would believe that Jesus died for you and was buried and rose again, you too can be saved. Because Paul concludes his argument about the resurrection and saying, but now is Christ risen from the dead? Wow, what a unique son. In him we are made free. And if the Son shall set you free, ye shall be free indeed. The, the resurrection of Christ is indisputable. All the Godhead was involved. In 1 Peter 1.21, God raised him from the dead. In, first, in John chapter 2 and verse 19 and 21, destroy this temple, Jesus said, meaning himself. And in three days I will raise it up again. And finally, the Holy Spirit has his part in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, the triune God, is involved in the resurrection. That settles this unique one. But you know, there are still more. And you don't have to call in just a few minutes. But there is still more. The rest of the story, near the end of the gospel, an angel is there at the tomb. And he says, he is not here. He is risen. The ladies that were there early at the tomb that day, in Matthew 28, verse 6, the women came early, but he was gone. He was not there. Peter hears the news from the ladies and grabs John, and they both run to the tomb, and John outruns them and, and looks in, and Peter comes and runs right in, and he sees he's not here. Wow. And of course, Satan, while this is all happening, 
all this wonderful thing concerning the unique Son of God in his resurrection. Thus, Satan uses the soldiers. They go into the town, they talk to the high priests and the scribes and Pharisees, and Pharisees have an idea. Tell them that the disciples came, you were sleeping. The disciples came and they took them away. Well, we know that that would be death for the Roman soldiers. They said, well, we'll give you plenty of money and we'll take care of the, the emperor too and tell him why we're doing this. Even to this day, that story is commonly reported in the world. But as we leave the gospel and look into the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 2, Luke says he showed himself alive after his passion. Many infallible proofs he showed and he being 40 days and when he had spoken these things, he was taken up into the heavens. And the angels, two of them were standing there and said the same Jesus shall so come in like manner. This same Jesus will come again. Yes. If it's 1.3, it says it's going to be better, far better to be with Christ. And now we're looking intently and expecting for this blessed hope and this glorious experience of the appearing of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that unique Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah, what a Savior, this unique one, Christ Jesus. He's all together, he's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Might this message move you today to worship him and be more, have more appreciation than ever before. So remember this little message of the unique Son of God in his birth, in eternity, in his beauty, in his creatorial works, in the complete redemption, in his resurrection, and his appearing again for us, the redeemed ones. God bless his word today. Let us pray. Our Father, we come before thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thank you for the opportunity to share the word. Pray, our Father, that, uh, <coughs> that you will continue to be with us and that we take this message, consider this unique one. I'm sure many people are going to add to this message the way that Christ is unique. We thank you, our Father, for the unique Son of God who came down and gave us that sacrifice for sin that you accepted and we are accepting and beloved because of it. Oh, blessed Father, bless us this day as we continue on. Let us go in the strength of the message and, and, and the thoughts and meditation of the unique Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.